This is Ann Robertson, the Executive Director of the Massachusetts Bible Society, wishing you a happy Palm Sunday and coming Holy Week. The devotion that I chose for today is from the Gospel of Luke. This passage is also in other Gospels, but I just picked Luke. It's chapter 9, verse 24, uh, and it reads, Jesus is speaking, For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. Yesterday, I was at the annual meeting for the Massachusetts Society of Mayflower Descendants, where I'm their elder and I pray over their stuff. Uh, Yesterday's speaker was Paula Peters, who's the marketing director of Plymouth Plantation, the living history museum here in Plymouth that depicts the lives of the Plymouth colonists and the Wampanoag tribe after the landing of the Mayflower. Paula is a member of the Wampanoag Tribal Council. If you look up this um, this devotion on the Spirit Walkers blog, you can see links to Plymouth Plantation and to the Wampanoag Tribe and to some other things in this uh, in this devotion. That's at annrobertson.com/spiritwalkers.html. Anyway, Paula's speech was notable not just because it was good, but because she's the first Wampanoag speaker in the society's history. There was actually one other time when a member of the tribe was invited. It was in 1970 that the society invited Wamsuda Frank James on the occasion of the 350th anniversary of the arrival of the Mayflower. But his speech, which had to be submitted ahead of time, was so severely censored by the society that he refused to come and deliver the nondescript pablum that was left over. So it took some time before the groups got together again, 39 years to be exact. Paula's speech was not censored, nor asked for ahead of time, nor did she pull any punches in describing what white people remember on Thanksgiving Day as a day of mourning for her people. While Paula was clear about the experience of Native peoples after the arrival of the Mayflower, she was also clear that she was not there to bring us guilt. She was bringing us the responsibility of creating a more hopeful future, a hope that was acted upon at long last yesterday. She received a standing ovation from the 150 people there, people who have long resisted seeing their Mayflower ancestors as anything but saintly icons who stood for religious freedom and democracy. Paula's husband, also a tribal member, wiped a tear from his eye. On the drive home, I thought about what I'd just experienced in light of Holy Week and the way I've experienced church across 50 years of Holy Weeks. What What I've seen is that, at least in American Protestantism, We want all the glory and celebration of Palm Sunday and Easter. A lesser but still significant number want to do some reflection on Monday Thursday. But the number of people who want to climb the hill of Calvary to a bloody execution drops off a cliff. Many communities do Good Friday services together ecumenically, in part so that the small numbers are masked by bringing many churches together. You don't see sort of ecumenical Easter services, except maybe sunrise, because there's just too many people. My interpretation of that phenomenon is that we're not fond of the message that in order to experience resurrection, we have to die first. Jesus set the stage in this passage in Luke and in the other Gospels. We have to die in order to live. He's not calling for martyrdom or saying that the way to salvation is through a literal suicide. 
I think he means things like what happened at the annual meeting of the Massachusetts Society of Mayflower Descendants. In order to move into a more hopeful future, we have to kill off some of the cherished fictions of the past. As long as we held on to those whitewashed notions of our ancestors, we could not be reborn into a bright and truth-filled future. And of course, it's not just the Mayflower descendants or the idealized notion of the first Thanksgiving. Each of us travels across the span of our lives, collecting beliefs and assumptions that inform how we see the world. Some of them are accurate and good. But many turn out to be cherished fictions, designed to keep us from having to face certain unpleasant truths about ourselves and therefore do something about them. We cling to bad habits. In conflict, we are righteous and those who oppose us are evil. Or, in cases of abuse, we come to believe that we are evil, or at least inept, and that our abuser is good. We all do it, and apparently they did in Jesus' day as well. The message of Jesus, both in his teaching and his example this week, describes a different way. There is no resurrection without death. If we are willing to kill off those bad habits and those cherished fictions, then and only then will we rise up to new life in Christ. It's not just Easter. It's Holy Week. All of it. Whether in the public rituals of church or in the privacy of your spiritual prayer closet, follow the footsteps of Jesus this week. The steps up to the place of the skull are heavy and it's common to fall several times under the weight of such a cross. But keep going. The death of those old ways is necessary and ordained by God. Easter awaits, a life out from the shadows and into the truth. I'm telling you, if the Mayflower descendants can do it, you can too. Will you pray with me? Take our hand, God, as we struggle with our cross up Calvary's hill. Bear it with us so that we can complete the task and rise to the life you have prepared for us. Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walkers. Life is still pretty crazy for me here, so it may be an every other week occurrence for a little bit. It's just really, really, really off the top. But anyway, I hope to still be with you maybe next week, maybe in two weeks. Thanks for hanging with me uh, and do have a wonderful Holy Week and Blessed Easter. Mm-hmm.